All right, well, hey, everybody, welcome to Eaglebrook Church. It's really good to have you with us today if you're at one of our campuses or if you're taking this message in online. We are in the fourth week of a series called Come and See because that's been our hope. Our hope is that you would come and see who Jesus Christ really is. Not what you read one time on MSN or Facebook, not what you watched on the History Channel, not what you heard your friends talking about one time, but who did the people who were closest to Jesus, the earliest eyewitnesses, what did they say about him? Come and see. All throughout the Gospel of John, that was the phrase that people used, that if a person was skeptical of Jesus, his followers would say to them, just come and see for yourself. And that's our invitation to you as well. But today I want to begin by asking a question. Is there anything in your life that you find yourself ashamed of or embarrassed by? Several years ago, our senior pastor, Bob Merritt, told a story about riding in my car. And I realized that I had told a story about my car maybe two or three weeks ago. So apparently my car provides me with a lot of stories. But we were headed over to staff meeting together. And I was having a bad car day. Sometimes you have a bad hair day. I was having a bad car day. My kids had left a bowl of oatmeal in the back seat. There was a chocolate sauce that had gotten smudged underneath the window. And just that morning, I had spilled a protein shake all over my center council. My plan was I was going to clean all this up before I let anybody else ride in my car. But as we were walking out of the offices, I turned to Bob. I said, hey, can I give you a ride to staff meeting? What did my kind gesture get me? Public shame and humiliation. Let me read to you what Bob said a few weeks later in a message, and I quote, I sat down in the front seat of his car, and it was unlike anything I've ever seen. <laughs> there was chocolate sauce smeared all over the doors, ketchup and mustard stains all over the seats, layers of crud was built up everywhere, a peach pit and french fries that had been there for five years... And I couldn't put my finger on it, but something smelled. <laughs> so for several years, people would ask me about my car. They would see me someplace and they'd go, hey, can I look in your car just to you know, see if it's really that bad? I was riding with Jeremy Sanoski, one of our worship leaders, a few months ago, and he got into my passenger seat. And I'm not kidding you, I watched him and he kind of was holding on like this. And he was looking around, and all of a sudden he turns to me and he goes, this isn't so bad. Like you could tell he was just prepared for the worst. Been walking into the car thinking he was going to get asbestos poisoning because he's riding in my vehicle. And for a while there, my car was really bad. But you want to know what? My wife's car was worse. That always gave me some comfort. Now she has the kids more than I do. But her car was so bad that she did carpooling with another family. And this sixth grade boy would get into our car and he would wipe off the seat before he sat down. <laughs> sixth grade boy. I mean, they're not exactly known for personal hygiene and cleanliness. And he was very polite. He never said a word, but he would just get in and wipe everything off before he sat down. Another time she was driving a four-year-old home from preschool and this kid had no filter. He just came right out and said it. He goes, you need to clean your car. Sad thing was, Sarah had cleaned it the day before. <laughs> so finally, we decided we're just going to bite the bullet. We're going to pay the money. We took our car in to get detailed and cleaned. We dropped it off at 10 o'clock in the morning. The place closed at 6. At 6.30, our car was still not clean. Store had been closed for a half hour. 
They had been working on it for six hours. It still wasn't clean. So when my wife went and picked it up, she rather sheepishly said to the guy, she said, it's probably one of the worst cars you've ever had, huh? Guy goes, top three. <laughs> I thought maybe he would have said, oh, I mean, I'd see this kind of thing every day. I mean, this is my job kind of thing. No, 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 he said top three. And then he charged me a $20 extra dirty fee on top of that. But here's the thing about that car. It was so clean that you would have not have known it was dirty unless we told you. Wouldn't it be something if our lives could be like that car? That all the sin and the failure and the regret that has built up over the years could be wiped clean? So clean, in fact, that nobody would ever know it had once been dirty unless you decided to tell them? All the failures that you've shoved in between the seats all of the regret that you've hidden under the floor mats, all the sin that has stained our lives, what if all of it could be wiped clean? My wife grew up in a family where there was addictions, abuse, and divorce. And then she went off to college at Bethel University in St. Paul, which is a Christian school. And one of her roommates had parents that ran a nationally syndicated Christian family radio program. And they had written books about marriage. And my wife remembers walking through campus and thinking, you know, I'll bet all these people came from really great Christian family backgrounds, and if they only knew what my life had been like, they would look at me different. Now, of course, nobody else ever said anything that made her feel this way. It was all self-imposed, but that's how she felt. Anyone here today feel something similar? That there's something in your life that you feel a sense of shame and guilt over. Maybe for you it was a failed relationship or a divorce. Maybe for you it was something that your parents did or something that happened to you in your childhood. Could be financial in nature like a bankruptcy or a foreclosure. Could be a sin that you've tried to hide from other people for years. But what is it in your life that you feel a sense of shame and guilt over? What is it that you wish you could be wiped clean and you think to yourself, I wish I never would have done that. I'm even a little angry or frustrated at myself for having done that or allowed that to happen. What has you embarrassed these days? In John chapter 8, we encounter a woman who's been caught in her deepest sin. Maybe you've had that happen to you. Where you tried to hide it for years and then all of a sudden they read the text message. They found the stash. They found out where you were going or what you were doing, and the hammer just dropped. And that's where this woman finds herself in life. She's humiliated, embarrassed. She's at her most vulnerable moment. And that's where we'll pick things up starting in verse 1. It says this, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. Jesus would frequently go to the temple to teach. It says a crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As Jesus was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and Pharisees brought a woman that they had caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Now I want you to notice the language here because it's very specific. It says that they caught her in the act of adultery. 
In other words, this wasn't a he said, she said kind of situation where we're not really sure if it happened or if it didn't. She was caught in the act and immediately brought before this crowd. But the Pharisees brought her to Jesus not because they loved her, not because they wanted the best for her life. They brought her before Jesus because they were using her. She was a tool to try to make their point. In fact, notice who's missing from all this. Well, the man is missing. If she was caught in the act, well, then he was caught in the act as well. But he's nowhere to be found. Because that wasn't the Pharisee's point. Next verse says this. Teacher, the Pharisees said to Jesus. This woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap Jesus into saying something that they could use against him. Now, the first time I read that, I thought, trap him with what? I, I don't get the trap. But as I studied this, the Jewish people were living at that time under Roman rule. And so if Jesus had taken the side of this woman and said, you know, just let her go. What he essentially would have been saying was, Old Testament laws don't apply. You need to go through the government of Rome. And that would have infuriated the crowd of Jewish people. But if Jesus says, yeah, stoner. Then he would have been agreeing with the Pharisees' interpretation of the law and thereby undermining his previous criticisms of them. This is a classic rock and hard place situation. And maybe some of us are in a rock and hard place situation today where there's just a situation where you go, you know, if I do this, I think it's going to go bad. And if I do this, I'm pretty sure it's going to go bad. I'm stuck. Here's what you need to know today. Rock and hard place situations don't apply to Jesus Christ. Jesus invented the rocks and he can get you out of any hard situation. There's always a different way because look at what Jesus does. It says that Jesus stooped down and wrote in the sand with his finger. They, the Pharisees, kept demanding an answer. You know when you're on the phone and your kids want something? And they're just like, can I have this? Can I eat this? Can I have this? Mom, I'm like, dad, dad, can I have this? And you're like, just give me a second. That's what the Pharisees are doing here. They keep demanding an answer. Don't you wonder what Jesus was writing in the sand? Scholars have actually debated this for years. There's all sorts of theories on what he was writing in the sand. But it doesn't tell us. So you're just going to have to ask Jesus when you get to heaven. But here's what I do think is significant. Notice the difference in posture says that Jesus stooped down. The Pharisees are standing over this woman, towering over her, ready to throw the first stone. And Jesus stoops down to her level. And he addresses her right here. And here's what Jesus says to this crowd. All right, stoner. Now, if that's all that Jesus had said, the Pharisees would have been very happy. Because these were the words that they wanted to hear all along. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says something else. He says, but let those who have never sinned throw the first stones. I wish there was a soundtrack playing along with this story. Maybe this is just in my own mind. But the way I picture it is when Jesus says, yeah, go ahead and stone her. The Pharisees hit play on the Party Jams album. They're like, sorry, Miss Jackson. Ooh, I am for real. And they're just dancing around. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says, but he who is without sin, throw the first stone. And then you hear one of those record scratching sounds like, Wah! 
And all of a sudden it's like, wait, what did you just say? They thought they were trapping Jesus, but Jesus was trapping them. Jesus looked like he was going to go right. He went left. They got Jesus juked. Here's what it says in the next verse. Then Jesus stooped down again. So he just goes right back down to the level and starts writing in the sand. When the accusers or Pharisees heard this, they slipped away one by one. And then I love this. Beginning with the oldest. The oldest guy is like, I'm out. He got us. I mean, we're trapped. Obviously, I have sin. I'm just, I'm out of here. The younger ones are a little more prideful. They're like, maybe I've sinned. Maybe I haven't. Let me think about this a little bit. There is a certain self-awareness that comes with age. The older I get, the more aware I am of how much I sin. Which is odd because I'm pretty sure I sinned more 20 years ago than I do today. But the older I get, the more aware of how much I sin on a daily basis I am. And here's what that does. It gives you empathy. I remember when I was a new believer and I would hear about someone who had had an affair or someone who, you know, misused funds or treated someone poorly. And I would just, I'd tower over them ready to throw the first stone. And these days, I thank God because more and more what I feel is a sense of compassion. How compassionate are you to sinners? When someone gets caught in their worst sin, in their worst moment, do you feel anger and irritation? Or do you feel a sense of empathy and grace giving? Now, there is a time to be angry. When someone is hurtful to other people, when they dismiss God, when they're self-destructed to themselves, there is a time to have a righteous kind of anger. But I'm asking you in general, do you have a compassion and love for sinners? Do you love people, all people? Not just those who agree with your political views or who don't commit sins that you personally don't struggle with. But do you love all people? Jesus says, yeah, go, go ahead, throw the first stone. But let the person who's never sinned, let, let them throw the first one. It's important to note that this woman would have expected judgment. I mean, the law of Moses says that she was to be stoned. That's what her expectation would have been. But Jesus gave her mercy instead. Is there someone in your life who expects you to judge them? But you could show mercy instead? My mother-in-law carries with her $5 gift cards to coffee shops. And whenever she's in Target and she sees a mom who's really struggling, who's really stressed out, she will oftentimes go up to that mom and she will say, you know what, being a mom is so hard. And you are doing the absolute best that you can do. And I just want to remind you today that God is with you. And here's a gift card. Go treat yourself to some coffee. She has had moms crying in aisle 16 at Target. Why? Because when your kids aren't behaving in Target, what do you expect? You expect to be judged. Everyone's expecting to be judged in that moment. And maybe rightfully so. I mean, I remember when I first had kids, I was talking to this other couple who didn't have kids. And they went on this rant about how their kids were never going to misbehave at Target. They were like, my kid ain't doing that. I'm not letting him do that. I thought, spoken like someone who doesn't have kids yet. 
I said, you get two, three, four, five of those little monsters unleashed in the toy aisle at Target? Good luck. I said, you're walking into hell itself at that moment. (laughs) But they're expecting judgment, and my mother-in-law gives them mercy. Who expects judgment in your life? Maybe it's your kids. I've been working on this message, and so lately there's been a couple times where I thought, oh, you know what, they expect me to get really angry right now. I'm going to give them a hug instead. Maybe it's a neighbor or a friend who's going through a divorce or a hard time, and they expect that you're going to kind of push them away. And instead, you bring them a meal and you pray for them instead. Who is God calling you to show mercy to? In fact, put yourself in this woman's situation who's caught in adultery. The shame and the guilt that she felt in that moment, the embarrassment at everybody finding out what she had just done. And maybe you felt that way. That there's something in your life that you feel a sense of shame and guilt over. That there's something that you're even angry at yourself about and frustrated. How could I have done that? And you wonder, how could God ever forgive me? How could I ever be made clean? After these women's accusers walk away, it's just her and Jesus all alone. And Jesus has two things to her that I believe he wants to say to each of us today as well. And the first one is this. Go and sin no more. So here's how the whole story ends. Jesus says to her, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now, Jesus could have put a period after neither do I. He could have said, don't they condemn you? Then neither do I. And that woman would have walked away feeling happy. She might have walked away feeling better about herself. But Jesus loves her too much to do that. Jesus understood that if she walks away feeling better about herself, but goes back to her life of sin and adultery, her life is not going to go well. Jesus understands that her problem, her deepest problem, is sin. And it's our deepest problem as well. Several years ago, our family went out to Custer State Park in South Dakota, and they have this herd of wild donkeys out there. It's kind of crazy. You come around the bend in the middle of nowhere, and there's these six donkeys just kind of standing alongside the road. And the reason why they stand there is because they know that tourists like me will feed them. So I pull up to the donkey, and you'd think the donkeys would politely kind of wait. They're pushy. They're real pushy. We rolled down the window, and we had some carrots that we were going to eat for our lunch. I didn't really care too much about the carrots. I didn't really want the carrots anyway. So I was happy to give the carrots to the donkey. But when the the carrots were gone, the donkey stuck his head into my car and starts snooping around for more food. So I'm like, well, here's my string cheese. And then I gave him my sandwich for lunch. And the next thing I know, this donkey had eaten my entire lunch. Couldn't get his head out of the car. Here's a picture of this donkey just up in my face. (laughs) Couldn't even get, I had to push him out to roll the window back up. But here's what I learned about donkeys. Feeding them doesn't make them go away. Feeding them only makes them crave more. 
Sin is the exact same way. The more you feed sin in your life, the more you're going to crave it. Sin is not like an itch that you scratch. It's more like poison ivy. The more you scratch it, the more you begin to itch. The more you feed it, the more you begin to crave. So let me ask you, what sin are you feeding right now? Just reading an article yesterday in the Star Tribune about binge drinking and how binge drinking literally changes your DNA over time. So much so that you can then begin to pass that DNA onto your kids and your DNA gets shaped and formed that the more you binge drink, the more you crave doing it again in the future. Scientifically proving the point that I'm trying to make. That sin isn't an itch that you scratch. It's something that just feeds itself and you crave more. The way to keep the donkey from eating your lunch is to never roll down the window. And it's the same way with sin. The way to keep it from ruining your life is to not give it an opening. The moment you give it an opening, the moment you open that window a crack, it's going to stick its head in. So what sin do you need to close the window on today? It's not ruining your life yet. It's not an addiction yet. It's not controlling your life yet. Jesus loves you too much to just say, neither do I. Go go do what you've been doing. Jesus is saying to some of you today, Go and sin no more. Here's the second thing that I believe that Jesus is saying to each of us, and it's this. You are not condemned. So go and sin no more was not the first words that Jesus said to this woman. Here's the first words. He says, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Here's what condemnation is. Condemnation is when you feel a sense of shame and guilt over confessed sins. So you've asked Jesus to forgive you, and yet you still feel this sense of shame and guilt. That's different than conviction. Conviction is when you feel a sense of shame or guilt over unconfessed sins. It's actually not a bad thing. We live in a culture today that says, I'll never feel guilty, no regrets, don't feel bad about yourself, no matter what you've ever done. But conviction leads to confession, which leads to forgiveness. And that's how you experience the peace of God in your life. Condemnation is different. Condemnation is even though I've asked Christ to forgive me, I still feel a sense of shame and guilt. And that's a lie. Romans 8.1 says it this way. Therefore, there is now what? No condemnation. None. Zero, zilch, absolutely no condemnation for who? For those who belong to Christ Jesus. See, more and more that I talk to people, it seems like a lot of folks wake up in the morning and it's like they have this weight that they're carrying. And they would describe it as a burden. They would just say, you know, I just wake up and I don't even know what it is. But I just feel weighed down by life. And sometimes it's even an issue from your past when you were a kid that you've never really worked through. And without realizing it, there's just this weight every day that you carry. And what I've noticed is that oftentimes when people come to faith in Christ, 
Well, they'll describe it as the weight is gone. That God takes this burden away and they go through and they start taking out these individual specific sins that they struggled with their whole life. And they go, God, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for the peace and the mercy that I'm receiving. But then they get to that last sin. That last sin that was so egregious. And it was so wrong. Maybe it was the affair. Maybe it was the divorce that you were responsible for. Maybe it was the abortion. Maybe it was the time that you blacked out and you don't remember what you did. Maybe it was the time you lost your temper and you struck that person. Maybe it was the time that you did something that was so bad that I can't even mention it in church. That's how bad it was. And so you think to yourself, you know what, God, there's no way. I, I just need to carry this one with me the rest of my life. And I just have to, you know, pay my penance for that. And I just have to carry that one with me. And you just go through your life still with that burden, still with that weight. Here's what I want to say to you today. Jesus Christ did not hang on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins so that you can carry one sin with you for the rest of your life. Today is your day to declare, therefore, there is now no condemnation. Absolutely none. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Jesus says, you are not condemned. Wouldn't you agree that something's value is determined by what other people are willing to pay for it? Just for example, take Manny Machado. Manny Machado is the third baseman for the San Diego Padres. He recently signed a contract for 10 years, $300 million. You ought to go to your boss and renegotiate. You ought to say, hey, I'll work here for three years, $28 million. You're getting a bargain, right? Now, is Manny Machado worth that kind of money? Well, to the San Diego Padres, he was. This next picture is of a Lamborghini Veneno. I'm not sure if I'm saying that necessarily correctly. But this car is $4.5 million. Is it worth that much? Yeah. Zero to 60 in 2.9 seconds. Top speeds of 221 miles per hour. You bet it's worth that much. This next one is a painting by Leonardo da Vinci called the Salvatore Mundi. Recently, a Saudi prince purchased this painting for $450 million. Is it worth that much money? No, that's creepy Jesus. <laughs> First time I thought that, I didn't even, saw that, I didn't even know it was Jesus. I thought it was a woman with a mustache. And no offense to women with mustaches at all, but that's creepy Jesus. You don't want that in your house, right? You don't want to be eating dinner and be oh, creepy Jesus looking at me. Go to the bathroom. There's creepy Jesus again. Now, the best part of this whole story is that after he purchased it, the Saudi prince brought it to a French Renaissance art expert, and the expert said, I think it might be a fake. A little bit of buyer's remorse there. $450 million for something that may not be real. Here's my point. 
something's value is determined by what people are willing to pay for it. With that in mind, what is your value? Well, other people, I don't know. But I know what your value is to God. I know what God paid for you. And I talk to people all the time, particularly young people, who are going through their life and they are so desperate to feel a sense of worth and value. But they're looking for it in all the wrong places. They're looking for it from, for affirmation from other people. Tell me I'm great so that I can feel like I'm worthy and valuable. They look for it in a boyfriend, a girlfriend. They think, okay, I'll sleep with you so that you make me feel valuable. They look for it in their job, their money, their career, their car, their house, other people's approval, and it leaves them empty. If you could discover how God values you, the worth that God places upon you, I am telling you, it would change your life. Here's the verse that I hope you can internalize. First Peter, it says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. The empty life of I need more affirmation, I need more approval, I need you to help me feel valuable and worthy. And it was not paid, he says, with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God paid a ransom price for you. Not $450 million in gold or silver, which will eventually lose its value. God paid for you with the life of his one and only Son, who is sinless and did not deserve to die. That's how much God loves you. About 10 years ago, our family was at a park, and we were just kind of a normal day at the park. Kids were on the monkey bars and slides, and, and then my daughter, who was just six months old at the time, she was tired. She needed a nap, and so she started to cry. And then my oldest son, who was five years old back then, just walked into a pole. I don't know why, just five years old, it's what you do. You just walk into a pole, and so he was crying as well. And then my other son, who was about two years old at the time and potty training, uh, went to the bathroom in his pants. So now I got two crying kids in Mr. Pooper pants, and I'm headed over to the world's grossest biffy. I found it. It's in Ham Lake, Minnesota, in case you were wondering. And as I'm walking him over to this biffy, I see this teenage couple, and they're sitting on a blanket, and they're, you know, just super annoying. And... And so I get him over to this biffy, and I get him all cleaned out. And we're walking back to the park. And Hudson was just kind of jib-jabbing and, and recounting what had just happened. And he came up to about here on me. He was holding my hand. And he's like, not supposed to go in my pants, supposed to go in the potty. And I said, yes, you're, you're getting it. And I had this moment where I felt like my heart was gonna burst out of my chest. Because I just looked at him, this little guy walking next to me, talking away. And I thought, I love him so much. That's my boy. 
And I thought, I wouldn't trade places with anybody else in the world. I wouldn't trade places with the high school couple on the blanket. I wouldn't trade places with the world's richest person. There's no place I'd rather be than holding my son's hand. Because that's my boy. I got back to the park and I sat down on a bench next to my wife and I had told her what just happened. And she turned to me and she said, do you think that God looks at us that way? That despite the mess that we make of our lives, and we do make a mess sometimes, that God looks at you and goes, that's my boy. That's my girl. And his heart is just bursting with love. I said to her, I think God does look at us that way. You know, maybe you're here today and, and your life is a little bit of a mess right now. There's a relational mess. There's a, just a mess in your mind internally. Despite the mess that we make of our lives, God is looking at you going, that's my boy, that's my girl. I love you. And I believe that God wants to say to you today, go and sin no more. Sin is what's going to cause pain and suffering in your life. And God loves you so much. He says, go and sin no more. Stop feeding that sin in your life. You can feel it. It's getting out of control. Stop feeding it. And then I believe God is looking at some of you who have been carrying a weight of guilt and shame maybe for years. And he is saying, you are not condemned. That if you belong to Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation for you. Let's stand as we close in prayer together. God, if there's anyone here today or watching this message who carries with them shame and guilt, by the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of Jesus Christ, but because we put our faith in Jesus Christ, right now, God, we declare there is no condemnation for them. God, I pray that they can begin to live and walk in the forgiveness and the freedom that you offer to them. That they can take the backpack and the burden off. God, if there's anyone here who has a sin in their life that they're feeding a sin in their life that's starting to get out of control. They crave it more and more. God, I pray that today is a message of go and sin no more. Close the window. God, I pray that you'd give them the power and the strength and the accountability from other people to do that in their life. And God, thank you so much that despite the mess that our lives are sometimes, that you look at us and go, that's my boy, that's my girl. And how much you love us. Remind each of us of that today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great weekend, everybody.